to Cruel Summer Book Club, a podcast about change, how we get through it, and what we learn on the other side. I'm your host, Jillian Anthony, author of the Cruel Summer Book Club newsletter. This week, I just got back from an incredible week in Fire Island. Uh, If you're not familiar with Fire Island, it's an island in New York that during the summers and and year-round, but summers are the big time there. It's, you know, 97% populated by gay men and some queer women, but mostly gay men. And there are no cars. You have to take a train, a bus, and a ferry to get there. There are plenty of deer wandering around. They come right up to you. They've never been hurt in their lives. They just want to be friends. Um, there's a beach everywhere you look. There's these gorgeous homes that all have this really classic East Coast feel. And so it's a really peaceful beach hideaway, but it's also an extreme party place. So during the day, you hop around to different pool parties at different houses filled with men in Speedos, beautiful men, lots of men with abs for days and, um, you know, so much style and so much fun. And during the night, you head to all these house parties with hot tubs and DJs playing full sets and people dancing and things tend to get a lot more risque at these parties. Um, And my friends and I have been going there once a summer for the past like five years. So it's a tradition for sure. And it's always so fun. You never know what you're going to get into. And this weekend was no different for me. I was so happy to be reunited with my friends after a summer away. And we danced and we drank and we ate so much food. And I was topless as much as I possibly could be. Um, men I met at the party, like the night before, were passing me on the boardwalk and yelling out like, hey, it's tits. <laughs> so that really made me laugh a lot. Um, you know, that's, that's how often they are not seeing breasts in this place. Um, they're so memorable to them, but what's really incredible about fire Island is how safe it feels to be a woman there. There is no one trying to look at or comment on or touch or commoditize my naked body or my body at all. And everyone is just so kind and welcoming and, friendly and it is so freeing and such a special experience. So it's always a real privilege to be invited there as a woman and to spend some really special time there with my friends. And this year was no different. And this week um, on the beach, I finished the book Detransition Baby by Tori Peters. This novel has been really popular this year. It's about three people in Brooklyn who are trying to build a queer family of sorts. Um, The character Ames lived as a trans woman for years, but detransitioned after he experienced a lot of hardships and physical violence as a trans woman. Um, And he gets his boss, Katrina, a cis woman, pregnant. And as he's trying to kind of understand what fatherhood would look like to him, uh, he goes to his ex-girlfriend, Reese, who is a trans woman and who has always wanted to be a mother and asks her to help Ames and Katrina raise this child as, you know, sort of a a three-parent queer system. And so the book explores explores a lot of questions about gender and desire and really helps me parse through the two ideas of kind of the importance of continuing to break down and abolish gender and gender roles, but also how important gender is to some people and allowing both of those concepts to exist at the same time, you know, allowing the gray zone of things to exist and to know that more than one thing can be important and that things don't have to be so black and white and, you know, allowing that to exist without feeling like a threat to myself or society or whatever else. We're just so, it's so hard for us to exist outside of these left or right, black or white binaries. And it explores a lot of those questions. And um, it also explores the concept of divorce for cis women as a really life-changing transitional event that can either make or break the rest of your life. And Katrina um, in the book as a divorced woman talks a lot about that. I really love the book's depiction of New York City and these treasured queer spaces in Brooklyn um, that the character Reese talks about a lot. 
And yeah, the book has been a huge success. It's one of the few books when written by a trans woman to be on the New York Times bestseller list. And it's also being in- made into a TV series soon. So you should check it out. I highly recommend it. I really enjoyed it. And um, it was a very, very smart book. And this week, I am totally obsessed with the full moon. The full moon is in Aries. And my friends and I walked home from dinner on Fire Island, absolutely bathed in moonlight, staring at the beautiful ocean, thinking about how big the world is. And then my friends took a naked dip. And I just felt very energized by the moon's energy and still do right now. And I hope that some of that really peaceful energy is reaching you this week. And, um, you know, just know that the moon is watching over you. All right. So that is enough about me. Um, I am going to bring in our guests now who I'm really excited to speak to. Um, I'm very happy to have a longtime friend on the pod this week. He is an artist, illustrator, speaker, and the author of four journals and books, some of which have been translated into several languages all over the world. His books encourage your artistic side and include uplifting yet realistic messages, such as basically do your best and then shut up and let people love it. I own several of his products, um, which I've you know been buying over the years. I have his OK Tarot deck, which is a beautiful shade of pink and simple and meant for everyone to enjoy tarot. And a keychain that has a dial. Uh, it's a circle and it has a dial on it. And y- when you swing it, it, it'll land on yes, no, maybe, or I don't know. And I actually took this, uh, this keychain on my road trip with me. It was on my hiking backpack and it helped me make decisions on my road trip. That was very comforting when I was all alone out there for, you know, two or three months. And um, they also have a new book coming out on October 19th, 2021. It's called You Are Here For Now, A Guide to Finding Your Way, a book of essays and art, um, which you can and should pre-order right now. So um, I am so excited to introduce my friend, Adam J. Kurtz. Hello, Adam. Hello. Hi. Hi. Thanks for having me on the pod. Thank you so much for being here. I am so excited to catch up with you. It's uh it's been a while. We've we've been friends a long time, but we haven't like had a proper catch up in a while. Yeah. Well, you know, like the earth's on fire <coughs> and a global pandemic uh has continued to ravage all of us and we both really changed our life in big ways. Definitely. Yeah, maybe we can why, why don't we start out maybe you can tell us where you are right now. Okay, that's not okay. Whenever I tell people that I moved to Hawaii, they immediately are like, Oh my god, you're at the beach. That's incredible. Fuck you. And it's like, <laughs> I moved into my in laws house. So my husband, Mitchell is from Honolulu. We moved in with his parents. They live in the suburbs. Like I live in the suburbs now. Like I left Brooklyn after almost 10 years. My life's totally different. The highlight of my day is like, going to a suburban Starbucks and like paying with my Starbucks gift card on the app to get double stars. Like I am not just basic. I'm like, I'm like post basic. I'm like, like whatever is more basic than basic. That's, that's me right now. That's my life. But yeah, I mean, Hawaii is incredible and I'm very, very grateful for this new chapter. Yeah. Um, and how, how long have you been there now? Sorry, I just need to mention that this podcast is brought to you by Starbucks. <laughs> Starbucks Frappuccino Happy Hour from two to five p.m. Wait, what? Monday through Thursday. What do, What do you get every time you go? Oh my god, I'm so <laughs> fucking dumb. I mean, I just get like an iced coffee with um, sweet cream. Yes, which is actually just cream, but then they add a shot of vanilla, and it's five dollars. And here's the thing about coffee: it just tastes better if it's four dollars mm-hmm. or more. Yeah. So like I can make coffee at home and I do live at a parent's house. So like we have a Keurig, you know, with the like plastic thingies that kill the earth. Um, I just like the ritual of going to a place and like, you know, at some point we'll move to sort of Honolulu has a really great like downtown city. Like it is a city vibe. There's creative places. There's like tall buildings. It's all of that's here. There's cool coffee. Like at some point we'll transition to our life and I will, pay six dollars for like a fair trade coffee that like a barista you know with two nose rings gives me and i'll you know right well we'll get there oh i can't wait but anyway <laughs> yeah, yeah 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 you can tell i i, I had coffee right before this. yeah i i love it i'm loving the vibe loving the energy i'm bringing you like full-blown like manic good day energy like i'm just super happy i'm in a great mood and i'm just like a happy 
to to talk to a friend about it. You know what I mean? Yeah. Okay. Well, that's great. I was actually just going to ask you, what is your mood today? So it sounds like you're in a very good mood. Just good. Yeah. I like, I woke up and I, I like got some fresh air and the sunlight hit my face and a breeze like, you know, blew through my t-shirt arms. And I was just like, am I in a, am I in an antidepressant commercial? Like <laughs> I literally said that to Mitchell. I was like, this is an ad for like, you know, Zoloft, like what the fuck? Yeah. So it's amazing to have a day like that. Um, and they still feel those kind of days still feel special because one for me and my mood is highly variable. And then two, like that was just a really rough 2020. So I'm taking these days and I'm just, I'm cherishing them. Yeah, that is wonderful. I love that for you. Um, <laughs> I, I like, I mean, I think that people imagine that like so many days in Hawaii would, would be like that. Right. But it's your life now you're living, you're just living your life. It's not a fantasy dream. So, you know, there's still, gonna- yeah. I mean, for, I, 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 sorry to interrupt. I feel like, you know, for people who live in New York or in, LA, Austin, San Francisco, like any of these, these sort of big cities, people all around the world dream of visiting these cities just once. And so when you tell someone that you live in Austin, Texas, they're like, Oh, my God, it's my dream to go like, have you heard of South by Southwest? Like, that's so cool. You know what I mean? It's like, your life is kind of a dream to someone else somewhere else. And I think about that all the time. I always felt that way in New York. I was like, it is a privilege to be here even though I just paid $60 to do laundry, like <laughs> this is someone's dream. And now that I'm here, I'm like, you know, just inside at my sister-in-law's childhood desk, trying to finish a book in, you know, her bedroom surrounded by Hello Kitty paraphernalia. And I'm like, this is someone's dream too. Yeah, no, that's an extremely... It wasn't mine, but, you know, I, I'm adapting <laughs> and it's it's good enough. Yeah, you're gonna you're gonna make it your dream, right? <laughs> Your dream can change. You know what I mean? Like my, my whole career, my whole everything has shifted so much. And I've had multiple, like in New York, I had multiple dream jobs, like the kind of jobs that people like really dream of having. And, you know, those experiences taught me that, yeah, you can get a dream gig and then realize like, no, my dream is different. And that happens to me often. I think, you know, you have a goal, you achieve that goal or the goal changes, and then you just keep going. And like, that's life, dude. It's it's steps. It's an endless staircase. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I I really I definitely think that that you have have and had dream jobs for so many people. I mean, I believe when I I was trying to remember exactly when I met you. Um, but I believe it might have been during your BuzzFeed period, which at that time, especially 2014, I believe that was like a dream job for many many a media person. Yeah, I. I, I was thinking about this. You, I think you sort of like asked me out out of nowhere to like get drinks. And we went somewhere in South Williamsburg. I cannot remember exactly where, um, you know, down past like Peter Luger. And I just remember being like, who's this like cool woman who has her shit together and asked me to a thing. And I remember thinking like, oh, I've been asked for a cocktail. Like whose life is this? <laughs> um, probably, probably was BuzzFeed time. So I did, I worked at BuzzFeed, but and before BuzzFeed, I worked at Barton F. Graff, which was a very cool, award-winning, advertising people know it, agency to work that that recently um, ceased to exist. And I was there during an interesting time for that. So yeah, my New York time for me was really marked by these two dream jobs where I'm like at my desk doing something that I don't love. And there's like, you know, some very over-the-top someone has tried to submit their resume in like a complicated package to get the attention of whoever, you know what I mean? Like the kind of place where, you know, people really want to be here and you're sitting at your desk and you're kind of like, yeah, but it's a job. Yeah. And you were, I mean, by that time you had already been creating and an artist for many years. Um, you know, you, started, um, on Tumblr, you're the OG Tumblr creator and, um, you know, it, everything and you had like things went from there, but you have been that sort of, you know, indie creator for so long. And also, I think that like, I, I don't, I don't remember specifically, uh, asking you out out of the blue, but I totally believe that I did that because I always remember, like, I knew of your work. I knew of you. I thought you were such a cool person and I knew you lived in Brooklyn. So I totally 
think that that definitely could have happened. Um, and I also remember interviewing you for a timeout story, like pretty early on um, when you were creating Homebrew, which is a, a zine that you still create. Are you still doing Homebrew now and then? So I stopped doing Homebrew after six issues, but I recently reissued it as an anthology. And so now Homebrew is a book. And actually your that piece that you wrote about me for Time Out, I put in the back of the book. There's some ephemera of like the way it grew. And there's like that Time Out photocopy. There's like a copy of like an invoice from when MoMA bought a few copies and some other little stuff just to be like, hey, this existed in a time and place. And like, this is my shitty little zine, but like it had its own little impact and paved the way for the rest. I really was and still am like a little Tumblr baby. I don't know. I... I've just always been making things and it's been very surprising that that side thing that was fun for me became my career. Cause I really thought I would just be a traditional mm-hmm. graphic designer and yeah, no, nope, I don't know. Some, I, I don't know. It's, it's absolutely insane to think that like you can just do your little art and it's not fine art and it's not groundbreaking and it's not like you're not an overnight success, but it can be enough. Like you can have a creative life. You can make rent. You can meet someone, you can do your thing. Yeah. I don't know. It's like, it's enough. You can't see me on the pod, but I'm like rolling my <laughs> eyes because it's so corny to like, just be moderately happy. You know what I mean? Like who saw this for us? Who said we were allowed to be moderately happy is the dream. <laughs> like happy sometimes content most of the time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then, you know, manageably depressed, but <laughs> right. the, it's the managing that's the whole deal. As long as you can do that. <laughs> but I, you know, I want to hear more about, because I'm not even sure I know myself, like, really how you did take those steps from, okay, you had these corporate jobs, which were, you know, uh, quote, unquote, dream jobs. They weren't dream jobs for you. I, you either you quit or were fired from BuzzFeed. And then like, definitely fired 100% fired. Yeah. And then what happened over the next couple of years, because you became your own business, and you started your art, you know, became uh, some a way that you were actually sustaining yourself. So tell me more about that, because I'm not even sure I know, you know, I actually am not sure what the tipping point was. I I think it's one of those things where you just do your thing and you keep doing your thing and you keep doing your thing and over time it builds. And so my career is really comprised of a lot of these like small releases, like onesie and two zines, a calendar, five calendars. One thing catches the eye of someone else who invites you to participate here. You know, my self-published work caught the eye of an editor at Penguin who offered me a, a very, very modest book deal. And I don't think anyone saw anything coming. And then that book was a bestseller in Brazil. Wow. For some reason. And, you know, and then life just like these little, these little steps, these little moments add up. And there was never a specific time when I was like, I'm going to level up. I'm going to quit my job. I'm going to do it. Um, and I, I never would have quit my job either. I'm, I'm so, so nervous as a person. And so like highly logical and like just pre-worry. And yeah, had I not been fired, I never would have taken that leap. Not at that time. But I'm so glad it happened. Were you happy at the time that you got fired? Like, or did, or were you very nervous at the time? I was so fucking nervous. First of all, being fired is like being dumped. It's like, you just question your whole life. You're like, am I a piece of shit? Like, am I garbage? Like, and then the person who breaks up with you or the person who fires you, like, in your mind, they become like the voice of reason. Like, they, they obviously knew what they were doing. So it's me. And in retrospect, it's like, No, I was on an experimental team that was disbanded a month after I was fired. My manager did not have managerial experience. Like there was no clear metric for success. Every day it was just like show up and like make a viral content. And I was like, what the fuck is that? Mm -hmm. And there was a lot of pressure to do what I call Pizza Cats Beyonce, which is where you make like the lowest hanging fruit. And it just wasn't for me. Oh my God. We could do, we could do a whole podcast on my feelings about social media content. Oh yeah. Um, and how I was a bad fit, but I knew I, I will share one anecdote and then we'll move on. Um, the second week that I worked at Buzzfeed, I came home and I told my husband, I was like, I'm going to get fired from this job. And he was like, no, don't say that. Like you're just starting. It's like, you're fine. Like just do your best. And I was like, no, no, not for any bad reason. Just like, I already know I'm a bad fit and I'm going to stay here till they fire me because I negotiated a really great salary on the way in, which Mm -hmm. I was one of the lucky ones. 
but I'm going to get fired. And that did happen. <laughs> and then I took my severance and I went on a vacation to LA. Yeah. Well, I mean, and that's, I asked, I asked if uh, it was like, a, you know, really scary for you at that time, because you say like, thank God that happened. It, it kicked my butt to move me on to other things, which I think is just so true about when, when things happen to us, like losing a job, which, I, you know, has happened to me too. At the time, it can be so scary. You know, you can cry about it for weeks or even months. You can feel so down. But like that, that thing happening is already changing your entire trajectory of what you're going to do next. Even if you have no idea at the time. Yeah. I mean, of course, it's, it's scary in the moment. And I, you know, I'm being so glib because now it's like sometimes all you can do about a scary moment or a difficult moment is laugh about it after. And also, I think that once you've survived something, survive is a dramatic word. In this case, I'm trying to broaden this this uh, advice at this moment. But, you know, once you've survived or overcome a challenge, when you look back, you kind of forget the minute details, the the things that were scary or difficult. And I was very worried about money, because I had previously been in a lot of credit card debt. Like, I, I don't come from money. I never made a lot of money. Um, that was always a concern of mine. And then even when I started to make some more money, I was always living below. Like, I, I am so careful. I save even like, even now, even, the, even when I feel like, other people are like, you should, you should enjoy your success. I'm like, uh, yeah, but I could get really sick or my arm could fall off. Like <laughs> I need to prepare to take care of myself and the people I love. So I was very scared, but I had also just sold a second book. And I knew that at the very least there was some money there. Um, was not, I also not a big advance. Like I I'm in a gift book category. Like I'm not, I'm not a big name, you know, novelist. It's, it's totally, totally different. Um, the idea that published authors are like making bank off their books is like not true, simply not true. Um, but I had something to focus on. I had this creative project to focus on and taking all that anxiety, anxiety and just channeling it into a creative project. That's my coping mechanism anyway. And so I was already set up to have that. Oh my God. People, I think people like you and I, like we need to have something to do, not doing something. That's like my worst nightmare to just do nothing sober, forget <laughs> it. Yeah. But also I think that's the thing that I, I really am still learning, you know, maybe a little later in my life is that um, I am an artist and I am a true creative, like you've already, you have been for a very long time. Sorry, you're just <laughs> learning this now. I know this about you. I've known this forever. Thank you. I, I think that, you know, it's part of my trauma that like, I have had a hard time seeing myself in that way, you know? You literally have a septum piercing. <laughs> what more What more do you need when you look in the mirror? Um, you know, art, I think artist is one of those scary labels where you feel like I'm not an artist because I'm not this, this, or this. But I feel like an artist is a personality type. Like you have your highly logical people in the world. And then I think artist is a certain type of sensitivity is a certain type of record keeping and memory making where you're proactively preserving mm. moments to hold on to them for later. And, and art encompasses so many versions of that, whether it's visual art, whether it's writing, whether it's curating an experience or creating community. Like to me, all of that is art. There are people who are living art. Like you have like your Iris Apfel, like she's her own art. Like that's the art is what she wears in the morning. Chefs, their art is the food they prepare. Um, I mean, Subway calls their, you know, these are sandwich artists, like, and that is art. There's an art to it. So yeah, I, that's a difficult word. And I, I think that if we really give ourselves flexibility and if we're kind to ourselves the way we're kind to others, many people would realize like, oh, I am an artist. That doesn't mean you're a good artist. It doesn't mean you're going to be a rich artist. It doesn't mean those are all qualifiers that you can, you can try for your whole yeah. life. But artist is a type. Once you figure that out, that's really liberating. Yeah. It's like, oh, why am I so stressed out about this thing? It's like, well, I'm, you're, you're an artist. So you're hardwired to tie your happiness to your productivity. Welcome. Yeah. And I, I think also, though, it's like the, what you initially said just about we have to be doing what, what I really have discovered about being an artist in the past few years is that I am not well unless I am creating in some form, and whatever art, whatever art that may be. And it can be so many different things like that's it, it more. Yes, tied to productivity. Absolutely. And like my corporate brain has definitely not left me. But 
I want to be making every single day, um, whatever that might be, even if that just means journaling for me, that is my mental health. That is what like helps me sort through things and see the world. So, you know, it's amazing that you took this practice that you were doing and you made it into really successful books. I mean, that's my entire deal, you know, as a creative person is just translating my life and my emotions. Like it's, I'm really just communicating in whatever medium I can. And so that first book, one page at a time and the follow-up pick me up are, are just daily creative journals. It's just that it's like, Hey, give me three minutes a day in this book. And at the end of the year, you've written a 365 page book. And if at any point you're questioning your ability to create, it's like, well, shit, you just wrote this book. I mean, it's unfair that that book has sold so well. Like that book has sold more than a half million copies worldwide. And it's like, it's an empty book. Like I don't write that. And people, people will come to me after lectures and they will say like, your book changed my life. And I'm like, no bitch, like that's just paper. Like that's paper you, you wrote in that book you watched yourself grow, you pushed yourself forward. Like I didn't do anything. And I, I will never take credit for that personal transformation that that people are are making for themselves. And I, I would say that, God, any journal, any daily creativity, just do anything. I believe that so much because those are the tools that work for me. And as I've needed stronger tools or different tools, I found ways to put those in, in my art too. And sometimes the tool is like an enamel pin or a keychain that is just like a mantra or a memory or a, a reminder rather that you just need to see. And it's, you know, it's like mom art. It's like kitchen art. It's like fridge magnets. It's like, yeah, they're cute until the day that you are truly spiraling. And you're like in the kitchen for like the fourth time that day you're opening the fridge. Like what in here is going to make me feel better? Pour a glass of water. You close the fridge. You see this magnet. That's like smile big girlfriend. And you're like, you know what? I will smile big. Thank you. And in that moment, that was helpful. In every other moment, you're like, why do I have this magnet? How did I even get this? And why has it moved with me to four apartments? Well, you're you're being extremely humble about your work. But I will say that... And self-deprecating. I am... Jew- let the record show. I am Jewish. I am very <laughs> Jewish. I think people can tell, right? <laughs> oh, I, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. Some, I don't know if people have good Judar. My Judar is better than my Gaydar. That's for sure. I've had to teach my my husband Judar. I just I've had to teach him. He doesn't he didn't really know a lot of Jewish people. There's not that many in Hawaii. I've like started to teach him and like now he knows the common last names. It's a cultural exchange. Sorry, what were you going to say? I was going to say that a reason why y- your work is so affecting to people that the reason why people I at least you know, from my experience of your work, the reason why people are coming up to you after, you know, events and saying you changed my life is that your work is like a friend being speaking to you. It's very affecting. Um, You know, those that little mom art and those little phrases you're talking about are exactly what you said, like when you need them, when you need to hear them, they show up in such strong, powerful ways. Um, You know, I think the piece of art by you that I see everywhere all the time um, is your keychain that says, good things happen, love is real, you will be okay. And to me, that message is so personally resonant. Um, you know, I I think that that like, is something I really try to live by and come back to and remember that everything is changing all the time, this bad thing will change too. I am loved, I love others. Um, and this is not forever. So I don't know if that's a really, I, I think that that's a really popular piece of yours, you would you can tell me but you know, there's a reason why your art resonates with so so many people. I really appreciate you saying that. And I, I will say that everything that I'm making my books, my my stationery, my apparel, my accessories, like, it's how I speak, you know what I mean? And, and you know me, so you know that to be true. It's it's I'm hopeful, but I'm also very jaded. You know, I, I really truly love people and believe in people. I'm also really hard on myself. And all of that sentiment in my real voice ends up in the books and ends up in whatever. And particularly in my new book, I finally learned to just trust that that voice is good enough and to be highly literal and specific about, you know, my version of backhanded optimism and and cautious hope and and jaded, uh, I don't know, just the jaded optimism and like the mental health awareness and, and just talking about mental illness and purpose and trying to get it all together. And I'm finally trusting that voice and, and that good things happen. Love is real. We will be okay. Has really informed some of that because that was a 
guttural response. That was the morning after the 2016 election. I, I woke up, Trump was president, and I was so scared. And I just, I remembered thinking like, you know what? Ultimately, at the end of the day, good things are happening somewhere and love exists. And we, I don't know who we are. We is, you know, that, that phrase is to me powerful because it's not pure, it's not blind optimism. It's just true. Like that's three statements that are true. And when you're really depressed, someone saying, cheer up, that doesn't help. But if someone says something that you're cynical, dark, upset, sad brain can't argue with, that's more powerful. That's something to hold on to. And I love that phrase as a keychain because the keychain is, you know, you literally hang, hang keychains, keychains hang on. <laughs> it's like, hang in there. Here you go. And the phrase is, has really taken off and has been used by a lot of other people in a lot of different ways. And I will admit that the part of me that is, you know, making art to survive tried to trademark the phrase and the government said no. And it's been borrowed, quote unquote, borrowed by, by a number of other companies, bigger companies than, you know, like I'm one guy, I just can't. And my lawyer also, <laughs> a lawyer that I procured also said, I can't. So my emotional self is like, I just want to help people the way that I'm helping myself. And then, you know, my business self is like, shit, I, I actually have a voice that's worth believing in. And other people are actually trying to replicate it. It's like, I sometimes forget that most brands workshop a brand voice and it's actually like a thing that you hire out or just innately do. And I, I don't have a brand voice. Like I just have my actual, like I write the way I speak. Mm -hmm. And I think I didn't know that was allowed for a long time. And I'm finally, finally taking my own advice. I'm finally believing in myself. And, and it took, being ripped off by all kinds of corporations to know that I had something worth preserving, which is very sad, but you know, the universe finds a way to tell you what you need to know. Yeah. Well, your authenticity is very clear. Um, and it's, I mean, I love to see you go the hell off on all these brands online that are trying to rip you and others <laughs> off all the time. Um, I truly love it. It's cause I don't have a day job anymore. So I've got the time. <laughs> You know, when the world's largest fast fashion retail brand wants to come after me and 20 other artists, I have the time to put together a media kit. Yeah, let's do this. I can't say who because I, you know, Google it. When you're going after these brands, on, like, you know, you have a very large Instagram, Twitter following, all of that. Like, does something come of it? I, I'm just curious about what happens after that. It really, really depends. Um, historically, I have, I have gotten people to pay up sometimes sometimes through legal action, sometimes just like they know that they're in the wrong and they I can just get someone to like PayPal me. Other times I'm fully ignored. Um, I shouldn't name names, but like Afterpay, for example, Afterpay just like redrew one of my things and used it for marketing. And I emailed their head of marketing and she ignored my invoice, but took the post down. And I was like, okay, I think her name, I'm not gonna say her name on the podcast. But you know, it was like, okay, they knew it was, it was li it's literally illegal, but I'm one person, they can ignore me. They're a financial services company. And there are many examples of that where, where there's a clear wrong, where there's a legal case, but it's just more expensive to hire a lawyer to pursue it. Um, PixArt is another brand that like admitted wrongdoing, tried to lowball me. They wouldn't pay me unless I send, signed an NDA. And I was like, you know what? For two grand, I'll just talk shit about you forever. I'm so grateful that I'm in a, a part of my career where how shitty you're being to me in an email, I'm not going to like suck it up, say thank you and take. Yeah, 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 yeah. I'm actually a company that that is literally built around supporting independent artists and like, you know, allegedly a platform for young creatives um, stealing from. A... It's the same story. And you know what? None of that stops me from existing. Like I live off of art. Period. And that's incredible. Sorry. Once you get me started on the negativity, it is actually hard to stop me. That's why I need the fridge magnet. No. <laughs> I love it. Um, and I love the importance of the fuck off fund. If you, you know, if you can, the sooner you can make your own fuck off fund so you can tell somebody, yes, fuck off. I'm not signing your NDA for a thousand bucks, like you said, because that's totally happened to me too. Like that's very important. And we all need that in our lives. You know, I, I have signed some NDAs. There are things that I've been silenced on. And 
sometimes, you know, it's a scenario where you need to, you just need to swallow. You just need to, you know, that's, it is what it is. And there have been also situations where I've had to sign an NDA so that someone else could get paid out. And I'm never going to tell someone else. Like, like for me, I have a fuck you fund, but like a 21 year old artist that I'm fighting on behalf of, she does not. Um, and that was something I did last year where I, I agreed to, to not pursue something if another artist involved was paid fairly. And she was like still in college. Like that's, that's several months of rent. And I was like, yeah, fuck it. Like, I wish I had someone fight for me when I was your age. Like, I'm just going to, I'm going to take this on. I'm going to write a scary email. Yeah, that's amazing. And I, I'm like, I love to see so many artists supporting each other like that. And I mean, you have such, you have people that you've known since the Tumblr era that are still creating right alongside you. And I love to see that as well. Yeah, I'm part of like a whole, I mean, that's a cool thing about getting older is that you get to come up with your friends and like, like you having this pot, like I've known you through several different jobs and huge life changes. And to just see someone that you've always believed in continue to like, prove you right, almost. It's like, we don't need to be, (laughs) we shouldn't be like striving for the approval of anyone. But but one thing that has really helped me is instead of focusing on the people that will never win over, you know, trying to prove your haters wrong, like they already hate you. Why don't you just make the people that love you even more proud? Like, why don't you give your friends another thing to celebrate? It's like, that's, it's, it's not ego to just be like, to, I don't know, to share good news. And I love cheering people on. Like, I am not ashamed to be a fan. I'm a, a huge fan of like pop musicians. I'm a huge fan of artists with 500, you know, Instagram followers. Like, it's not about big or small or what it's if I if I like you and I believe in you like I I want to cheer you on and occasionally if you need help like I want to fight for you too because that's the only reason I have anything is because people have gone out on a limb you know because I've asked them to or out of nowhere to support me to support my work to tell me that I'm valid to tell me that they believe in me to take on mentorship roles to create space like nothing happens by accident in a vacuum overnight success does not exist like it's, it's a community and people really, it's so corny, all this stuff, but like, it really bears repeating, like, you know, a rising tide raises all ships or whatever. I don't have that magnet yet. So if you see one, like, I, I'll get it. But yeah, it's just the comp the competition model is bullshit. Like we actually can all succeed. It's just about how you define success. If you define success as I have stepped on everyone's head. Yeah, that kind of sucks. But if success is just like, hey, me and my peers are thriving and like, you know, I can treat, I can treat everyone to lunch by surprise, or like, I can have my fuck you fund, or I can, you know, these little sort of things, like, that's the success. That's awesome. Yeah. And something I, I've been really thinking about a lot this year in turn, like on the, I can't remember who I should attribute this to, sorry, but um, off the top of my head, but it's why not you basically, when you're looking at something and you know, you see someone you really admire, like looking at you, Adam, you're it's like, wow, he's a full time artist. He he's, you know, a, a multi published author, he's written all these books. Um, you know, we're still rather young, I, if I do say so myself. Um, so it's like, don't you don't need to look at somebody and say, why not me? It's like, why not you? You can do it too. You, you know, that person is sure they're talented and they work hard, but they're not, you know, something extremely special in this world. You can have that too. And you you don't, you can like put yourself on the same level. You don't have to put all these people that you do, you know, you admire and you love their work, but you can put yourself there too. Why not you? You could do that. I feel like I'm always saying that it's like, look at my work, please don't copy it exactly. Cause th- you know, it happens, but like it's pencil and paper it's handwriting, it's it's simple illustration. Like I I went to a community college and then I went to a state university. I really, I just like can't draw that well. I'm not a genius. I'm it's just me. I'm just Googling. I don't have a team. I don't start up money. I just try and sometimes it's good and sometimes it's bad. And I do a lot of self-publishing. And like that's allowed. Like we don't need to wait for the gatekeepers. It's just fucking just do it. And you know, an example of that is my tarot deck that I that you mentioned that you have is the OK Tarot deck was an idea I had, I couldn't get out of my head. And I was like, you know what, I'm going to do a Kickstarter. I'm just going to see if people want this. And in one day, enough people had backed it that I could afford the printing. And by the end of that project, I had pre I had a 1000 copies sold in pre orders. Wow. And that deck has gone on, you know, just me at home googling 
literally Googling like how to do, how to make a barcode, like how to do whatever. Like that deck has been sold at Urban Outfitters, at Macy's, at Nordstrom, at Madewell. Madewell bought 3000 tarot decks and they had very specific requirements. They needed it packaged a certain way. And I had to like figure it out. And I had to order their proprietary barcode labels from Avery Denison's Mexico office. And they could only accept payment by check. And I had to like get a business check and then mail it to like, it was so annoying and I was freaking out. And then I just did it. And it's like, I don't know, like, yeah, that's, if I were a bigger business, there would be someone whose job it is to do that. But I'm not, I'm one person. So I just Googled it and I had a small panic attack and I told myself I couldn't do it. And then I got over it and I just tried and it was, you know, and that's an example of people who work at these big companies saying to themselves, hey, let's let's platform like this one dude from from Brooklyn who clearly is doing this from his bedroom. And and I'm just like, yeah, thank you. Thank you for working with me. Thank you for holding my hand. I'm spiraling, but like I will figure this out. I know this is a good opportunity. And little things like that are happening all the time. You know what I mean? It's like when Target commits to stock 15% Black-owned businesses in their stores and then actually does it. That's people at Target being like, we're going to do this. And you can see it. You can see it in like partnerships they've launched and small brands that they're stocking in like this national chain. I don't work for Target. I'm not sponsored by Target. Although Target, if you're listening, my email is studio at adamjk.com. But corporations are made up of great people. Like when you were the editor of Time Out New York, like Time Out New York is like a big, like the first time you wrote about me, I was like, holy fuck, I'm in Time Out New York. I'm pretty sure that was like in a press release for my, my second book. And you're just a person. You're a person. So we we forget that these big moves, we forget that these people that we think are like famous or wildly successful are are people and and everybody's flailing a little bit in their head. Everything's hard the first time until you've done it and then you learn. Yeah, abs- absolutely. And I uh, I wanna bring up that I just remember over the years you going take you know you take all these orders uh you're you've opened your shop you're making all these products and it was just like you battling at the usps or like you every single day you were at the post office shipping your life away like i remember so many posts and pictures you put up about that i love being like a brooklyn jewish santa claus like i i was at i was at the williamsburg usps so often had i still have my po box actually i need to close it um, but I'm friends with, yeah, I'm friends with one of the managers there. So she was like, you know, hit me up if there's any, anyway, um, I love Tanya at the <laughs> Williamsburg USPS. Yes. I, I mean, I just, I've been there. I've been around, I got better and better at shipping, but I was shipping from my fifth floor walk up apartment. I would carry books and stuff up five floors. I would store it in our closet and then I would pack it up and ship it every morning. I would pack my orders, drop them off, then go buy a $5 coffee and then come home and then start my workday from home. And that was my commute was like, leave post office coffee, come home. And it was as if I'm in office mode now. And I know way too much about the post office. I've had so much mail lost. Um, The private carriers aren't any better. Mail getting lost, fighting with different things, knowing the most economical or effective way to ship. Like I am really, really good at shipping now. Thankfully, I don't do my own shipping anymore. I have like a fulfillment service. So I've even leveled up and it, I miss sending mail, but in 2018, I shipped 7,000 packages by myself. Oh my God. And that, that's nuts. Yeah. Like, I don't mean to be disrespectful to people, you know, suffering from mental illness, but like, that's fucking crazy. And, and I realized like, Hey, this is not sustainable. Like you are going to burn out. This is, this is too much. And I think learning, I'm pivoting here, but I think learning when to say, you know what? I have been figuring it out. I've been working really hard. I have been doing this alone. This is now something I can trust someone else with. I don't have to do this alone. I don't have to micromanage a situation. That's been a really hard lesson for me because for a long time, I could not afford help. I couldn't afford to change my process. And as I've been able to, I've had to learn like, hey, Adam, you're so frugal. You're so scared. But for the sake of your mental health and your physical health, you actually need to spend a little money to free up your life. Like it's, they say you have to spend money to make money. I don't know if that's been working for me, but it, it really gave me more time in the day. And especially, I mean, when the pandemic hit, like 
I was not leaving my apartment at all. How was I going to have an online store? And at the same time, I, I, all my client work evaporated. So many, so many like projects that were in conversation fully disappeared. If not for people ordering from my shop, like I would not have made any income for like six months of last year. So I was glad that I had that prepared. I was also really grateful for the community support people that believe in my art and, and just like what I make and, and felt that it was helpful to them during that time too, and, and wanted to, to have it for themselves. Man, I'm tired from how fast <laughs> I was just talking. It was, it was great. I feel like passion flowing through my veins, but also sugar. Sweet cream specifically. Sweet cream with two shots of vanilla. I'm like red <laughs> in the face. I know you can see me. Um, I was wondering, so I didn't, I didn't quite realize that the pandemic kind of prompted a really tough time for you professionally. Um, and, but I, I believe that you wrote your book that's coming out in the fall, um, or soon while the pandemic was going on. Is that true? Like, and how did, how did that go? (laughs) So actually the problem is that I almost didn't write the book. So I, I sold, I sold through this book concept that I had been working on. The book evolved from a previous concept that that just didn't work, but I had been working on this concept since 2019 and working on pitches for about six months and finally sold it through to Penguin November 2019. And the first deadline was April. Oh, wow. 2020. And that just didn't happen. And in fact, I missed my deadline by five months. Oh, wow. And in some ways, it was hard because I... I'm always so grateful for an opportunity that I I almost always ex- meet and exceed deadlines. I turned in my last book a month early. Wow. Like I put my sketches in like prepared decks. Like don't forget I come from advertising. So I'm always so grateful for the opportunity that I want to do a really good job and make it easier for the people on the other side because I used to be that person. Um but this book I just how do you write I mean how do you write a book about optimism during a global pandemic? Mm. You just don't you don't because it would be insane. It, it would be so empty. And so, you know, it's that thing I said about when someone is in a really dark place, you can't just say cheer up. Like you can't, it gets better yourself out of this. Although it does get better, but that doesn't help in the moment. So the whole book changed. It went from really a short form sort of gift book to, it's not long form, but it's, I wrote 18,000 words over 20 essays. In addition to art, um, you know, the title changed. The book is twice the length that we thought it was going to, like, it's just, it totally, totally transformed. And I think for the better, because what happened in the pandemic is one, I realized like I could fucking die. (laughs) And the book is called, you are here asterisk for now, you know, nothing forces you to face mortality than to live in New York city. When it was the epicenter, I lived a block from the BQE. It was not, it was nonstop sirens, Mm -hmm. March and April. Mm -hmm. And I don't mean to say this really casually, but like people were dying all around us, right? There are photos of like the refrigerated trucks, you know, like globally. Like, I I just think that it really all just hit me that like, yeah, it's, it's just tomorrow's not promised. And it's so important to just get more real about it. And I felt that I was slipping into the blind optimism. I was leaning too far into my own positivity, the positivity side of my work. Because that's what people on Instagram like. I was I was really just falling into that trap of like chasing, falling into the trap of of chasing the analytics and chasing the engagement. Mm-hmm. The the whole book changed. I just I, everything got more real, and also my life got harder. I made huge life changes. Um, you know, I, I picked up my life and I moved. I I addressed some things in my mental and physical health that I had been putting off for a long time. You know, I really did go from like, everything will be so good so soon to, yeah, TikTok bitch. Like, you just don't know how much time you've got. And and shit is real. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, I, I was not in New York during those first few really hard months. And I can only imagine how really challenging it was and especially being so close to everything going on. Um, but then it did prompt you to make some really huge changes pretty quickly. So how, what, what, what was your decision making to, okay, you know, me and Mitchell are going to leave New York now. You know, I, and I, I, I need to say like, I'm so glad that you weren't there for that time. It was really hard. This was like when we didn't know that masks worked and they were telling us not to, 
right? They told everyone don't buy masks because the hospitals need them. And so we were in a we were in a, a two bedroom apartment. We left once a week on Monday at midnight and bought groceries from a bodega that was like, you know, empty at night. And it was just, it was really scary. It felt like the end of the world. And one thing that happened for me in that time was I realized I'm with the person that I want to be with at the end of the world. Like if this is it, if we're going to die next week, I found my person, Mitchell, Mitchell Kuga, who I, I just am obsessed with and I love you and you're my family. And it's crazy that you can meet a stranger and then just like, they just become your family. You know what I mean? Like I would literally die for this person. And I would, I mean, I would die for a lot of people because, you know, I'm just <laughs> ready to go. But um shouldn't say that. If you're my therapist, stop listening. Um, yeah. Accidentally got too dark. Um, but yeah, it's just, I was so glad that I had found my person. And so, you know, later, later in the year when I said, Hey, I, I want to move to a bigger apartment. Like I just want a balcony because, Oh my God, like I, we need to get like the fire escape is not a balcony. No. Can we maybe move to a new apartment? And he was like, if I have to pack up my whole life, it has to be to go home. Like I need to go home. Like Mitchell's parents are in their seventies. Dad had a health scare. Um, not related to COVID thankfully, but like, I mean, any health scare was exacerbated during this time. Um, and they also both retired and it was like, he was just like, it's my responsibility. I'm the oldest child. Let's go. And I wasn't ready to leave New York. And I, I hate to say it, but I'm one of those people that for me, New York was like a, a badge of honor. Like it was, it felt like part of my identity in a stupid way. And it's so hard. It's so hard every day when I'm like, did I give up a dream? You know, I, I wanted to live there. I, I got myself, I got myself there. I, I, I made it or whatever. And, and then I just left. And what does that mean for me? But ultimately in life, you have to pick, you really have to pick your thing. And my thing has always been happiness because it's the thing I struggle with the most. Like happiness doesn't come easily to me, which is why on a day like today, when I just feel so happy, it feels like I'm in a commercial. Like it doesn't feel like my life. And there was no way that I was going to be a reason that, that my husband didn't feel happy. And there was no way that I was going to like leave love. You know what I mean? What was I going to do? Like you go, I'll stay. Like it just wasn't an option to me. So I, I, I chose um, happiness and, and love is tied to happiness for me. And I'm not crying. I just, I'm rubbing my eye. Um, you know, it just, it was, it was hard, but I know that I made the right decision. And I've, I've lived in a lot of places. I've had a, a number of different lives. I think, you know, maybe a little bit more about my earlier, <laughs> the earlier half of my life. Um, so it is what it is and I'll adapt. And, you know, and I do have the books and the fridge magnets and the keychains to keep me going on the harder days. I am so happy that during this extremely hard time, you had your husband, Mitchell, who is an incredible writer and artist of his own. And yeah, I want to hear, I want, you know, you guys have been together a long time. I want to hear about a really, really joyful change that happened in your life was when you guys got married a few years ago and I attended your wedding. It was uh, at the iconic Strand Bookstore in the Rare Books Room and it was incredible. So I want to hear more about that from you. Thank you so much. I'm literally that bitch who would love to talk about her wedding a lot. And I use her not in a gendered way that is sexist, but her in the way that um, gender doesn't exist. No, but I, I loved talking about it. It was, to me, it was an art project. I had a folder on my computer for the wedding. And when I started thinking about it as a project, it really helped me break it down from a scary, big emotional thing, you know, bridezilla, groomzilla, whatever. And it became something fun. And so it was like, okay, my one friend's a decorator, our friend's a chef, she's never done a wedding, let's be her first wedding client. Like, it was this thing of like, imagine for the only time in your life, you have a budget to throw a big party, what would you do? And we gave ourselves, I mean, this is also privilege speaking, but we gave ourselves a budget of $10,000, which is low for a wedding. Oh, yeah. And is very low for New York wedding. Oh, yeah. And we, we really look to our community of you know, a uh, decorator and a chef and DJs and even the the Strand Bookstore, you know, hooked us up with 
with a discount on the venue. And we just threw our dream party featuring a brief wedding ceremony. And it was so fun and it was so beautiful. And I wish I could live in that, that memory forever. And I can't because the New York Times brought a 360 degree camera thingy. So if you ever want to, if I ever want to see my, my wedding, I can go and watch that video and read all the comments that are like, die faggot. But you know, it's fine. Oh, oh God, that's awful. That's just YouTube. I, well, I was going to say that you were in the goddamn vows column of the New York Times. I didn't know that was going to happen. You know, they, there's, they have the little announcements. And I just thought that was cute to maybe get your announcement in the, the paper of record. And then they reached out and they were like, we are going to do a whole feature and send a photographer and can we send a camera? And I realized very quickly, like, right, okay, I we are a product and we are, you know, a gay, creative, interracial couple getting married at a bookstore. So we are very like, check, 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 check. But we didn't care because it took a, it took a whole community of people to make our wedding happen. And people really worked out of kindness for for low rates and just to just make it happen and we were like you know what it would be so great for our caterer for our decorator friend for our dj friends for our drag queen friend who perform like this is something that we can do that we know is impactful is to like give everyone that that moment and i'll say one more thing about it it was it's i know a lot of people dream of that happening it was actually very intimidating for us mitchell's very private and i have a complex family history and family relationship. And the journalist from the Times said, we need to talk about why your family wasn't there. And without that detail, I don't think we're going to do this. And you have to be okay with that. And I was like, okay. And for some reason, it's very easy for me to talk about, you know, queer identity and being gay. And like, I'm very cool with that. It's very hard for me to talk about growing up, you know, Orthodox Jewish and and being on the fast track to like being a rabbi and then you know evacuate button eject myself out of that and realize like that's not my life that's not what i want and yeah i was i, I was outed as orthodox ex orthodox in the new york times and <laughs> turns out nobody gives a fuck and it was totally in my head and and that was a great lesson to learn too yeah well you know your wedding was, I, I really have to say, I, I cannot believe that I got to go to a wedding in the rare bookstore. I mean, it was I, iconic. It was the- got to. I'm just glad that you were there. Thanks for coming. Oh, it was incredible. It's something I will always, always remember from my time in New York. And, you know, it was amazing. And it was truly like a who's who scene of all the most amazing artists across the country. Everyone was at your wedding. Uh, the incredible drag queen who performed. Who was that again? What? Bishan, oh my God, in custom bridal couture by Daniel Haggerty. Yeah. So that was that's on YouTube. I haven't checked the comments, but we were we were just like, what is a wedding? I mean, when we met, it wasn't even legal. Yeah. It wasn't on our radar at all. And we were like, fuck it. Like, if if we can't have a traditional wedding, let's mm-hmm. have the least traditional wedding. Yeah. Well, it was amazing. Absolutely. And I'll always remember it. Mission accomplished. Um, and, you know, we're, I, I do want to, we're running out of time a little bit, but I want to ask you a couple of last questions. Um, I would love to ask you as, you know, an artist yourself who creates comforting art for others, what is a piece of art of any kind that has really comforted you through a hard time? You know, one of my own favorite pieces of art is a very simple rainbow shape that says then and now. And for me, it was a moment when I said to myself, hey, Adam, like you make all this artwork, you do these illustrations, you're sharing all this stuff, but you've never made something explicitly queer before. And why is that? And so I did. I drew this thing on a post-it note and I tattooed it on my own arm. And it was a moment for me. And I got it tattooed in San Francisco while on a trip there. And it just really felt like a reminder of how far we've come as a culture how far the LGBTQ movement has come, and then also how far I've come. The fact that I can just like be gay and it's not, it's one, not scary, but then two, not my entire identity. Because there is a thing when you come out where you're just like, I'm gay, everyone. And it's like, no, I I asked you what you wanted on your sandwich. I'm the Subway sandwich artist. Do you want pepper jack or cheddar? So I had to, first I was repressed, then I was like over the top. And I just settled into myself and I was like, this is what this represents. It's the arc of time for me. It's the arc <laughs> of time for me. Um, 
Christ. So I made that and it's it's been elevated in a number of ways. Like it's been a keychain. I did a I did a four foot neon version that was um, on display at the Leslie Lohman Museum of Queer Art in New York and then auctioned off um, for charity and sold for 10 grand. And it was just so crazy that this little thing I did for myself could could take on that new life. And then with MailChimp, we did these massive like 20 foot inflatable balloons for Atlanta Pride. And we marched down the streets with like a whole uh, collection of them. And it all really is like, like you can see it, like a tattoo on my arm and a small moment. And that's at its core what my art is. It's me talking to myself. It's me reminding myself of the things I know when I'm in a happy mood, when I'm of clear mind and heart for when I'm not going to be. And I'm not, it's not like in a memento way, but it is like, I, I'm going to forget what it feels like to, to feel good. And, and I want to preserve some version of this for later because I'm going to need it. Yeah, that's an incredible practice that I'm still trying to teach myself every day. Um, and, you know, you mentioned that like happiness is hard for you, which I think it is for many of us. You're certainly not alone in that. But what is a joy bomb in your daily life? Like what is something that you do or watch or experience, you know, something you are always looking to to find that joy? I have to say for me, like an incredible joy bomb is Lexapro 10 milligrams. <laughs> yes. Yeah, it's uh, boom. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's the joy bomb y'all is like, talk to a doctor and ask if antidepressants are right for you because mm -hmm. they might be. And it's, this is my first time publicly sharing that I am on antidepressant. It's new for me. It's actually new. I, I added it to my cocktail of medications because I realized I needed help. And that's why I can just have a really happy day. And that's why, and, and science is real. I'm sorry. Like we have a vaccine for the coronavirus, like why wouldn't a pill help? And I will say, and I'll end on this preachy, preachy note, but like, it's not weakness to use the tools. Do you know what I mean? It would be absolutely insane to hammer a nail with your bare hands. And no one is gonna see you with a hammer and say, cheater, that's cheating. Why don't you just use your hands? You can just work through it. No, you use a hammer to hit a nail. So if you are suffering from mental illness, you go to a doctor, you go to a therapist, you go to a psychiatrist, you share openly and unashamed, you know, you have to let go of any, any version of shame that you hold around this and really advocate for yourself and ask for what you need, ask for the tools and then use those tools because that's how you fix it. Yeah, I absolutely agree. And that was, that was something that for me, like I, it took me writing a book called You Are Here For Now, a book that's thesis is literally like, TikTok, what are you waiting for? You know the answers, please just do it. We're running out of time. It took me doing that. It took me extracting myself from a, a busy lifestyle in New York where I was able to distract myself. It took the coronavirus cutting out my social life and, and rearranging all of my priorities to be like, Adam, you really have always struggled with this, but it has gotten harder lately. It is time. And uh, yeah, so... I mean, I also, you know, I love um, Bridgerton. Season one was like really fun. Um, you know, I also, <laughs> yeah, I mean, I love, we all love culture, but Joy Bomb, it's it's medication, y'all. Um, thank you for sharing that. I really appreciate it. Uh, and I just, you know, I'm so proud of you for taking care of yourself and, you know, think uh, anything that makes you, you know, happier and makes you continue creating so that you can continue to share all that you share with us in the world is, you know, is good by me. That's what I want for you. So I'm so happy to hear that you're doing good. Yeah, thank you. You know what I am? I'm the best I've ever been. Wow. I'm the happiest. I'm the most confident. I'm the most secure. I'm not confident or secure or happy, but I'm the <laughs> most that I've ever been. And that is, that's a constant growth. It's, it's just, yeah. it's, it's one step at a time. It's all my books are so, so incredibly literal. And the beauty is that when I forget, there they are. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's what I'm doing in this life. I'm just trying to get through and, and be happy. Which we all are. And which is why, you know, your work is so, so resonant. Um, and, yeah, thank you so, so much for this wonderful conversation, Adam. It is, you're such an incredible person. I'm so lucky to know you and thank you for being here. 
I'm literally a fucking dumbass. You don't have to say that. I'm, I'm nobody. It's fine. I'm just a person. We're all very special. Thanks for having me. Sorry I'm like this. <laughs> Thank you. And, uh, you know, I'm so excited for your new book to come out. Everyone listening, um, pre-order Adam's newest book, You Are Here For Now, A Guide to Finding Your Way. Uh, it's sold everywhere. Books are sold. But you can also find it at yahfn.com that has all the bookseller links. Um, you can find all of Adam's products and books at shop.adamjk.com. And you can find him on Instagram, Twitter, TikTok, everywhere else on social media at adamjk. And he is has an incredible new TikTok. So get on that. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, I just want to thank you all so much for listening to Cruel Summer Book Club. If you like this podcast, please, please take the time to subscribe and give me a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. It really helps me reach more listeners. So I would really appreciate it if you take the time to do that. And you can find more of my work at cruelsummerbookclub.substack.com and follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Jilla Thrilla. I will see you next week and take care of your heart. 